Welcome to the Film Look podcast, where we try to achieve it one shot at a time. I'm on half of the Film Look, Richard Scott. As you can hear, the other half of the Film Look, Robert Carr, won't be joining us today as he is currently on holiday in New York City. Thankfully, I am joined by the third official, unofficial third member of the Film Look, Christian Foreman. Hello. All right, so usually Rob does a fun fact, but instead we have, we've got some mail, we've got a voicemail. Mail time. Yeah. So uh, Max over at Valley Films has sent us an accent for accent. So we we connected with him a couple of months ago and uh, he's been listening to our podcast. We've been listening to his and he's sent us over him trying to do our accent because apparently we tried to say podcast in a New Zealand accent a couple Pod- of weeks ago. Podcast. Podcast. And it wasn't very good. So we challenged him to try and do our Northeast regional accent. Uh, Geordie slash Mackham accent. And this is the voice clip. So you aren't hearing this. I've, I've heard it. Uh, just I haven't, I haven't heard this before, no. Let's uh, see what he's made of. So the problem is uh, I'm pretty hopeless with these British accents. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really trying my hardest. <laughs> I, I swear, I, I really am. Uh, but yeah, I'm not much use. So Ooh, this he's is probably London, really eh? bad in your probably laughing at me right now <laughs> i'm giving it a shot um hello guys my name's max Pedersen from down under oh, new zealand um and the the amazing people at the film look uh did a an accent for accent so it is now your turn you do have to try and talk in a kiwi accent not just one word you can't get away with that so uh i just wanted to real quick say i love your po- podcast it's seriously cool listen to all of them and don't have all the intention of listening to the rest so keep up the awesome work and that was my my pretty hopeless attempt at a british accent so cheers guys how cool is that oh that is very cool thanks for that max so that's I mean, I do a bit of feedback on the accent. The I think he did a good. Minutes. He did a good job of like dropping the vowels. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Typical British thing, there, isn't it? He got the use right. Use, he said that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it turned very RP, so received pronunciation, very like South British. Yeah, which I can't imagine people outside of of the UK can really listen in on. Uh, but the difference, so if, if I say a couple of lines, hello, my name is Richard Scott and I am from Newcastle upon Tyne. I am a Geordie and I am 25 years old. So if I do like an RP accent, hello, my name is Richard Scott. I'm a Geordie and I'm 25 years old. Yep. Was that all right? That was good. So I'm not even very good at doing a British accent. I'm not an accent guy. I can't do accent. I can do American and that's pretty much it. Yeah. because I did... can't even do my own accent. I'm from Sunderland <laughs> and I don't sound like I'm from here. Uh, so he asked us to do a Kiwi accent. I can't do that. I really can't. That's true. All right, you, so you, You're good at accents. All right. So I feel like you need to start off with like an Australian accent and get like the really roundedness It's a bit, it's a bit in, softer, isn't it? And then bring it down. It's a, it's a bit more of a calmer version. It's, it's soft around the edges. Yeah, sort of like it's a bit more um, like Australian sounds very like a caricature, whereas New Zealand still sound like real people. <laughs> so, uh, how you doing today? My name is Richard Scott. I'm from New, New, Newcastle, <laughs> Puntine. No, I've that's, lost it. that's Australian. Uh, today I'm going to pick up my backpack and go off to university. Is that all right? Do you think, think that sounded like a New Zealand person? No. No? All right, well, this has been going on for a little bit longer than usual. So why don't you tell us what's happening on today's podcast, Christian? So coming up on this week's podcast, we have News and Views, where we'll be discussing what happens when you put a mic arm on a light stand and Disney acquiring 20th Century Fox. And then we'll move on to, you haven't seen that? I haven't seen that. Where we'll be figuring out how Metropolis achieved the film look by dissecting its filmmaking properties. Later on, we'll be talking about the difference between story and plot and our worst projects we've ever made. And then, because we can't do trivia this week, because Rob's not here, um, yeah, we try to figure out how to do a trivia challenge between the two of us, but trying to come up with questions for each other, it's, it we'd would, end up coming up with the hardest questions ever just to win. And I don't know how interesting that would be to podcast listeners if I just ask you, like, what year <laughs> What's Terminator your favorite biscuit? <laughs> well, actually, in replace of Rob this week, uh, Rob, I know you're going to be listening on the way back from New York City. We've got some lovely ginger snap biscuits uh, sitting in your seat. Yeah, we should have set up a microphone for the ginger snaps. <laughs> 
<laughs> Probably talk more sense, eh? <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> He's not here, he can't say anything. <laughs> what were we saying? Anyway, right, in replace of this week's trivia challenge, me and Richard will be trying to think of film ideas on the fly using Story in a Can, which is... Do you want to explain Story in a so Can? Or should story we do that in a Can on? is... I'll do a brief one. So you've got four cans. Each can represents uh, a character, an object, a scenario, and a location. There's a bunch inside each can. You pick one out and you try and string together a story based on these four random sort of events cool if you want to send us any questions comments or topic suggestions for this podcast you can find us on twitter at the film look and if you are listening via itunes please go and give us a rating over there really help us reach a wider audience and if you didn't know we also have a youtube channel called the film look where we upload videos every tuesday and sunday about all things filmmaking and you can see behind the scenes content of all that stuff over on our facebook and instagram pages as well all at the film look so I think that's all the asks out of the way early on. Why don't we get started with news and views? News and views. Na, na, na. News and views. Na, na, na. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the lead on news and views this week. Okay, good. Um, right. So first of all, DSLR video shooter on YouTube, Kayla Pike has got this cool video on when you put a mic arm, so like an articulating mic arm, on top of a light stand. And what he's saying is he's, he's got quite a small studio and he needs as much space as he can. So what he's done is he's taken a light stand uh, and he's put a mic on on top of it. But what he's done is he's found these really, really lightweight LED uh, softboxes and he's placed them on top as well. So imagine basically he's got like a Star Wars set now with these like robot arms, almost like a dentist, a dentist would have with like an articulating arm. And you can put a mic on it, you can put a light stand on it, and he just says that as soon as he basically invented this. Because he is an inventor, after all. Like he, he comes up with ideas for DIY filmmaking and videography that no one else is thinking of, and he just bungs things together. It's the only way I can really define Caleb Pike. He's the Bung, only... Bungs things together is quite a, a Geordie thing. <laughs> <laughs> he, he... Yeah, <laughs> bungs things together. Um... And it seems like a really cool idea. Now you can't use like super cheap arms. You know, we've got quite basic arms for our mics, uh, but they're super lightweight. And he was saying you can't really put anything, anything heavy on them. But that is, that's one of the views. I'm pretty sure you've got a view as well, Christian. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so I was listening to BBC Six Music this weekend, which for those- of I you didn't realize you were 90 years old. <laughs> wow. No, it's a cool hip thing. They do, they've got six. Yeah. I didn't know for what the, Yeah, that. for those who don't know what this is, probably if you're outside the UK, you'll have no idea what this is. But it's just kind of a digital alternative radio station run by the BBC. But on a Sunday, they have a show called Sound and Vision, where, they ho where the, the host interviews actors and directors, and they discuss their key musical moments from their films and why they chose the music and a bit stories behind them. And this week's was Sam Mendes was on. All right, good in. And... Um, yeah, he was talking about his musical choices for American Beauty and Skyfall and Jarhead and what's the other one with Tom Hanks in Road to... Polar Express. It's not that one, but you know what you're trying to mean. Anyway, but it was really fascinating. He was talking about why he specifically chose certain tracks for key scenes. And I wish uh, I kind of listened to this or it was out before we did the American Beauty episode because I learned a lot. For example, do you know a key song in American Beauty was the Who's the Seeger? Remember that song? No. What does that go like? Oh, I don't want to sing it. Try. No. Okay. Because <laughs> this is secret. I don't know. Anyway, Pete Townsend <laughs> gave it to them for a quid, for what? a pound. A pound? Because, Why? Because he, because he liked the screenplay so much. Oh, okay. Because obviously he would have to sell it. Um, but yeah, he just made it as low as price as possible. That's, Wicked. That was interesting. Ah, right. So he, was, he wanted to just give them it. Yeah. But in terms of legal things, that to sell it for a pound. Get in. And he talked about a little filmmaking trick, uh, Sam Mendes, that he, he often makes uh, characters mixtapes and he gives the mixtapes to the actors to listen to, to get them in the mood ah, of the yeah. character. We did that with Backstage, actually. We made like a generic uh, playlist for everyone, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, and we, we assigned a certain song to a certain character to yeah. get them in the mood. Yeah. So that's what Sam Mendes does as well. And apparently they the create a whole scene around this. Because remember when Carolyn, which is the wife, is driving home and she's listening to that song on the radio? Oh, right, it's quite I... a pivotal scene. I think the song is um, Don't Rain On My Parade. Yep. But that was just, they were just supposed to just film her in the car. And then Sam Mendes was like, oh, just put your mixtape on. And just started singing along. And then they kept right. it in the film. I really like that. That's yeah. really cool. Uh, I finished Stranger Things 2 last yeah. week how good week is the before? soundtrack in that? that? I mean, 90% of the budget must have been on the soundtrack yeah. because... There's some there's some 80s hits in Stranger Things too. Well, if you if you're watching it uh, on Netflix, which I think is the only place you can watch it at the moment, yeah, uh, 
they do a thing called Beyond Stranger Things, which comes on after. And it's a almost like a documentary interview uh, thing. And the Duffer Brothers were on it. And they were saying that when you're directing young people, sometimes you, you can't tell a three-year-old, oh, we, we, you're going to be really sad here for these reasons because they're not really listening. So instead, what they did was they put on like really scary music and like literally got a, really scared. And I thought that would be a really good idea for like getting everyone in the mood, you know, with our latest film backstage, we got everyone in like the hype mood by playing like these 80s pop hits. And I was thinking when we shoot the the horror film in in your house, which we're in right now, uh, we could put like really scary music and just get everyone totally freaked out. And I have to live here. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Right, I got uh, I got another bit of... Well, can I say where they can listen to that? Oh, yeah, of course you can. So that was... It'll be on iPlayer if you want to listen to it. If you're not in the UK, I don't know, maybe you could do something illegal, stream it somewhere. We're yeah. not condoning illegal activity, but if you just whisper, I'm going to say it. <laughs> if you, you whisper, just, it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> if you go, if you do change your IP address or something and you can stream it. <laughs> you just hack it in, it's fine. <laughs> all right, so that's all the, uh, all the views. Now yep. it's time for news. So Disney is looking to inquire 20th Century Fox. Um, what do you think about that? They want to acquire everything, don't they? They want to just monopolize the whole world. They want to be the big dogs yeah. of, of everything. Now, when they bought Lucasfilm, everyone was saying, oh, God, Mickey Mouse is going to be in Star Wars. It's going to be rubbish. Yeah. And I think they did the best of their ability to re- bring back Star Wars. I like, Star Wars is the job. nostalgia fest that it used to be. Uh, and... You know, this they say episode seven is exactly the same as the first Star Wars, but it is a soft reboot after all. Um, anyway, but this is kind of cool because 20th Century Fox owns X-Men, which means that if Disney buys them, X-Men and Marvel will be back together again. No. So people like Wolverine and all that, all the X-Men characters well, we'll, and Deadpool. Well, Wolverine will be back, will he? Uh, well, I mean, it'll be in some other universe thing, won't it? They'll, they'll bring them back somewhere. There's time travel in X-Men, so I'm sure they'll, they'll find a way. But it just means they're all going to be back together again. That's good. Yeah. That's exciting. I don't want Disney to buy 20th Century Fox. I feel like you need to have some competition. And yeah. if they're going to just acquire everything, it's it's going to be damaging to, the, to Hollywood. Really more will. than what's already happening at the moment with all these uh, dirty perverts <laughs> uh, going around. But, I mean, hopefully Hollywood, you know, burns and we can rise from the ashes. There won't be anyone left and they'll say, oh, we'll have to get the film up to make some where's movies. The, where's the non-sexual <laughs> deviance? Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, uh, I mean, that's all for me. Fam. That's all for me as well. All right. Oh, by the way, all the things that we're going to be talking about will be in the show notes below. Wicked news and views. Nah, nah, nah. News and views. Nah, nah, nah. Who needs Rob? Eh? Jesus. <laughs> I'm feeling it's there's a little bit of pressure in this episode, obviously, because Rob's not here. So when there's three people, you can sort of take a back seat and yeah. let two other people talk, and then you have to jump in. But because there's two of us, we have to keep the conversation rolling the whole time. It's quite like. difficult to to have a non-stop conversation for 90 minutes without having a break. <laughs> yeah, definitely. With just two people, so we're doing we're doing all right, I think. So let's move straight on to because we haven't got a trivia round. It seems strange, but we'll just go straight into talking about Metropolis, which is this week's film, right? Yep, let's do it. So Metropolis is a 1927 German expressionist epic sci-fi drama film directed by Fritz Lang. And it's uh, this silent film is regard- regarded as a pioneering piece of work, um, being amongst the first feature-length film- films of this genre. Metropolis is set in a futuristic urban dystopia and follows the attempts of Frieda, is that how you pronounce his name? Because Frida, they, yeah. Because they never say it on the screen. I don't know how it's pronounced, but I think it's Frida. Frida. And he's a wealthy son of the city's ruler, and it also follows Maria, a poor worker, who can together overcome the vast gulf separating the classes of their city. Do we need to do a spoiler alert, even though it's nearly 100 years old? Probably. Yeah, 
Yeah, because okay. uh, I didn't really know what was what was going on in this film. Spoil, spoiler, I mean, no. spoiler <laughs> Before I watched it, I didn't know what was it about. Yeah. Um, we'll quickly do the awards. So it's nominated for zero Academy Awards because they weren't invented at the time. Yeah, so it's won six. It's got six wins and four various nominations. Uh, but they were between 2000 and 2012. Yeah. So, uh, like you say, Oscars were, were, were invented after this film came out. I think this is the oldest film I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. 19, was it 1927? So it's 19, 90 years old. It seems film. strange to watch a film that was pre-World War II. It's crazy, that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's mental. Like, it, it is, it's, it's just history. I think it's number two of the greatest silent movies of all time according to empire magazine what's number one i don't know it's probably the charlie chaplin one yeah um, i think what's it called the tramp oh no that's no, the character that one it's the anyway you'll know which one i mean the, the most famous charlie chaplin one all right the greatest the greatest something oh the great dictator the great dictator i yeah. imagine it's, I that's not it's, a silent that film is it not no, because he has a speech as Adolf Hitler in it. <laughs> it does. Maybe yeah, it's that not. was the Tories. Maybe it's not that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you, did you see this? No, it's one of those films that I've been meaning to watch for years now. Yeah, and just, it's on the list, isn't it? It's always on the list. I think it's on everyone's list. But, but everyone's but apprehensive. I've never been excited to watch this film. I've always, but I knew I've needed to watch this film. Yeah. Because of the, you know, the circles I'm in, my interest in film, my my enjoyment in film history. and the But fact it feels that, more like a task. And the fact that we do this podcast i knew that eventually one day i would have to watch this film but yeah. it wasn't like i was yeah and we had the incentive to watch it and i'm glad you suggested because honestly i probably would have went through life without watching this film if yeah. i didn't have to no, do me it too. for this podcast yeah there's always other things to do isn't there like i say it's hard to build up the motivation to watch a two and a half hour long german expressionist silent film about you know communism on a sun on a sunday afternoon it's no it's no terminator <laughs> 2 is it <laughs> that is true yeah um there's a couple of different versions of this film yeah so we watched was it the 2010 i watched yeah we watched the 2010 one which is the apparently it's the fullest version possible. yeah it was the, in 2008 it's they like, found extra footage um that people had reprinted on a 16 mil so you'll notice when you watch the 2010 version that there are shots that are a lot more grainy and that's because it's not in 35, it's at 16. Yes. But yeah, it adds like an extra hour to the film. Something like, like extra that. 24 minutes, I think they found. Oh, so it? the story behind that was that when they released it, it was originally two and a half hours, but when they started distributing it, when the people received it, they're like, what, it's two and a half, we can't show this film. So they just took it upon themselves to edit it down oh, to right. two hours so they can get more screenings out of it. So because of that, over the years, it's just been pretty much destroyed due to all the recuts and re-edits. Yeah. And that original negative got lost or just misplaced just thrown or out. just kind of thrown out. And yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I think at some point, so over the past how many, 80 years, that's all we could see, this two hours edited down version. And then I think in 2008, I believe in Argentina, they found a duplicate negative copy. And that's where they found that extra 25 minutes. It's still not the full version. I think it's like 95% of what the, the director intended. Yeah. But it's certainly the fullest fullest version there is. And that's what we watched. But you can definitely see, like I say, the the, the bits that they found because it's quite HD. And then the bits that were added in, a bit a bit more grainy. You yeah, can, you can very see. grainy. The, the film has definitely been almost completely destroyed. So I, I think they had quite a bit of a digital remastering for that one. But don't quote me on that. All right, so we both hadn't seen this film, and now we have. What did you think? Um, I liked it. I, I didn't. I thought it was interesting. I wouldn't say it was enjoyable, but it was certainly interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, and you can tell it's it's an important piece of important piece of work. It's obviously very pioneering in cinema. Um, that created a lot of special effects, um, which I think it still holds up. We can talk about that in a bit. Um, I thought the religious Im imagery was really cool because I often had to stop the film and look it up. Um, for things like the Tower of Babel and the Horror of Babylon and all that sort of stuff, I didn't really get what they were referencing because I'm not, um, I don't know that that history of those, those stories. So yeah. I had to do a bit of Wikipedia searching as I was going through, okay. which is really interesting because I, I learned a lot watching this film. Yeah. But it felt like a text. It felt like I was in class studying. <laughs> yeah, um, but well, last week I said this is... This is the type of film that you don't sit down and watch. It's a it's a study more than anything else. Yeah. I'm on the same uh, I'm on the same line as you. Like I and what do you say? You enjoyed it, but you didn't. I found it interesting, not enjoyable. It, yeah, yeah, it was interesting. 
and I had IMDb up the whole time yeah, while too. I was watching yeah. it, uh, looking at extra little bits and trivia and trying to figure out all this because it's it's got a story behind making the film. I think that's one of the most interesting things about it is that story about how it was lost over the years. Yeah, because it is a, it's a it's a film relic now, isn't it? Yeah. All right, so let's let's start off then. Character development. So the main character was Frida. Frida. Frida, Frida, yeah. Frida Friedersen. Frida Friedersen. Something like that. And he's the main protagonist in the film. He's a young aristocrat who's a, a rich boy, son of John, Joe. Joe. Friedersen, who is the engineer, kind of top tier ruler of the society that they call Metropolis. And for his whole life, he's just kind of had a fun enjoyment, sleeping with women, living in that pleasure gardens or whatever you call Playing it. Quite tennis a, quite, an, quite an indulgent, hedonistic lifestyle not realizing the atrocities that you know happen in the world below where he lives. And then one day he stumbles across the lower classes and takes it upon himself to create a more equal society. So I think that's quite an interesting start to a film. Um, I thought the actor did a great job, although it's quite hard to compare the acting of the silent era to acting oh, of today. It's not quite method, is it? <laughs> no. There's a lot of arm grabbing and pointing it's really, it's, really it's, strong. It's, yeah, it's very overdramatic, a lot of gesticulation, and it's, it feels quite stage play, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But and, I, I, I mean, wouldn't, that is the time. I don't think it? that's their fault. It's just, yeah, it's the time. They had to convey a lot without using them words, which... Yeah. But I'm not used to that sort of style, so it, it took me out of it a bit. You, can, uh -huh, you couldn't really yeah. suspend disbelief I was a, too it, much. About an hour in before I really got sunk my teeth into it, and yeah. after that, I did. I did just follow along. But at first, I was sort of a little bit scoffing and like, "Oh God, I think, I think the more, oh, what, what have I got myself into?" <laughs> yeah, I think the more the more silent films you watch, watch the more accustomed to this kind of acting technique you'll you'll become. Yeah, you just got to get used to the uh, the visual grammar, don't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you say, it's not grounded or realistic, but it's certainly compelling and it's a gripping film. But, you know, by by the time I was halfway through it, I wanted to watch the rest of it, which I was surprised I by. Think it, I think it's a really good story. Essentially, it's a fairy tale, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That kind of, you take the bones of the story. It really get, is a, if you it's get, a tale of wonder, isn't it? Yeah. Just this guy trying to, you know, bring these two worlds together. But yeah, so I, I like them. I like the story. I like the, I like the character. What about Maria? I thought she was pretty cool. Maria yeah. is kind of the the, the woman. The love interest. The love is interest she the love woman. interest? I guess she is. Yeah. I would argue that she's probably the the main character. She she helps the plot along the most. I would say. All right. She kicks it off. I guess she, so. I never know. It brought this question. This film brought up a lot of questions to me. How did she get into that pleasure garden in the first place? Was it like a school trip or something? Yeah. This was this was <laughs> something strange. Like how uh, Frida, our protagonist. Yeah. Uh, hadn't doesn't know about any of these people in the the underground city thing, uh, and then she just sort of like, "How are you, lads?" Wanders in. <laughs> Come on, let's let's have a look. And then maybe that was just they had to figure out some sort of way to put them together. And really, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't. But yeah, it did. It did bring up a lot of questions for me. But in terms of her performance, she seemed the most natural. She seemed less over the top than everyone else. She expressed a lot with her eyes. She had massive eyes. Yeah, yeah. And she played two parts as well. She played her and the and the robot. And, and the crazy one. Well, the robot. Yeah. <laughs> and even though it was silent, I did feel like they, they were quite distinctive roles. Um, you could tell the difference between them when she was playing them. Yeah. Um, she's not the best dancer in the world. No, I would agree. Uh, you sent me some gifts. I sent you some gifts. Of, uh, of that and... Yeah, I like the idea of just the director going, right, this is quite a quite an important scene. You're going to be you're quite a lustful, amorous robot that's trying to seduce all the men of the city. Just do like a just really sexy, around. just do a sexy dance. <laughs> and then she gets up there and dances. It's, it's, I wouldn't call it sexy. Maybe it was in 1927 though. Yeah, yeah. maybe. She dances, I know you don't watch Seinfeld, but she dances like a laying off Seinfeld, which okay. if anyone watches that out there, you'll get that reference, but it's not particularly sexy. I feel like the characters had their overline and journey and they all had an arc and they all had scars at the end of it that they could, there were visible scars on them and they changed as people. So in terms of character development, I think it's all there. It's very simplistic, but it is all there. Yeah. And it, it plays to the themes, doesn't it, as well? You know, you've got uh, pride and social class and redemption and it delivers them all in that fairy tale aspect, like you say. But I mean, at that point... Uh, cinema hadn't really grown into what it is uh 
All right, direction slash execution. Direction. So this took a year and a half to shoot. Did it really? Yeah. Long, wow. A long time, which is very unusual for its time. It's quite unusual for today's time as well. Yeah. Um, by today's money, it would have cost around $200 million to make. Whew. It's quite. It's, it's a huge production. Yeah. You can see how how big it is when you're watching it. The, I don't know how many... I've, I've got a, a number of how many extras, but I can't find it at the minute. But there was thousands. like thousands and thousands yeah. of extras. Yeah. And apparently he was a massive dick, like as was a director. Was he? Fritz Land? Yeah. Apparently the the extras were like hurled into violent mob scenes and made a stand for hours in in, in cold weather, and made it feel like more like props rather than human beings. Like yeah. he was quite a quite a control freak and a perfectionist madman really right. to get this film perfect. The heroine was made to jump from high places, and when she was burned at the stake, Lang used real flames. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, no wonder it looked good. <laughs> that's that's mad. But is that was that expected of directors at the time? I don't know. I imagine there was no HR. Apparently, a bit of a knobhead as well. I don't know if there's no HR department back then. They could do whatever they want. Yeah, I noticed. You know, right at the end. uh, Spoilers, by the way. Go watch this film. It is quite good. Um, When it's all flooding and all the kids are going up up the stairs. Yeah. And like half the kids are like on the other side of the railing, just like like jumping around and that. And I'm thinking. That would be a HR nightmare. (laughs) Now that just wouldn't happen. They would have to like CG the whole thing. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, in terms of the execution. But in terms of the execution, sorry. It's, a, it's brilliant though, isn't it? It is good. It is good. I liked how the setting of the scenes is really, uh, I took note of that, how he, there's kind of like three main worlds, isn't there? There's the metropolis, utopia, high heavens type stuff with the big yeah. buildings. There's the worker's city. And then there's the worker's city. And then below that. And then below that, the cata- catatombs. Cata- cat- catacombs. Catacombs. So, and each of those locations or settings have a quite a distinctive feel about them yeah so what did you think of well kind of moving on but what do you think of the the city like the, the the skyline the way they they did that i mean it's just amazing isn't it considering that no computers were involved in this and there was there was no uh like in the lab work either there was essentially no post-production other than cutting the film it's just mental absolutely mental like even in 2017 i don't even know how I would have even pictured something like that. So in terms of putting the director's vision onto the onto the silver screen is just astounding. Like he just he's just poured it out, and it's it's amazing that someone was able, like a human being, thought of that yeah. and came up with a decision to put that on screen. Like it's it's, it's amazing, and he, you know, he might be a tall knobhead and a dick, but like the guy was a tall genius. Yeah, like this film is is astounding, and it, it really does is. it does hold up. Obviously, it would be a little bit better today, but I think even it works stylistically with the film, like in terms of that kind of papery feel of the city. Oh, okay, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like this, this you could see, synthetic You, you could see like Wes Anderson doing that today and looking yeah. exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Deliberately making it feel like it's a miniature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in an interview, Fritz Lang reported that the film was born from, like is inspired by his first sight of the sky- skyscrapers in New York in, 20, yeah. in 1924, where nice. Rob is right now. Yeah. All right, cinematography. <laughs> What do you think of the visual design of this film? Like I guess, yeah. It's, We've already spoke a little bit about it. I think it holds up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was trying to figure out how they did a lot of things during the invent of that thing you're probably more familiar with than I am where it made it seem like the people were walking through the city. Special a effects. Mat. You're about you a use like mirror, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a mat is where, imagine, imagine you've got a piece of paper and you cut something out and then you look through that hole to reveal something else. Uh-huh. That's what a mat is, essentially. And and the way they did this was that they, they filmed certain things and then they used a mirror and they, they, they shone it through the mirror and recorded the projection. But then they scratched off the silver of the mirror to turn it obviously just back into glass again. And then that revealed parts of the image rather than the whole image. So essentially it's cutting, cutting out little bits and that was projected onto the other role of film see I read that as well and I still don't and you told me that I still don't understand it but I'll, I, I imagine I'll, I'll get out bits of paper and some sticky back plastic and we'll we'll go through it after yeah um, in terms of the cinematography I, it was it was stunning I did like it, it certainly impressive in a film nearly 100 years old but sometimes I feel like they just wanted to show something that was visually impressive rather than it, um, kind of doing anything to help the plot or the story I mean yes but 
you also have to consider that there would be nothing like this before it, which is funny because we've just swapped our arguments with 2001 there. Yeah. Like I, I said, I said during 2001, yeah. like the, the, the just showing just to show it. But the 2001 came out, what, in the late 60s? Yeah. All right, people have already been making loads of films. And the fact that this is 40 years between it, you know what? I don't think 2001's that much more of a jump, to be honest. <laughs> I think this is a lot more impressive. Right, you've just got something against 2001. I can't say anything to persuade, dissuade you there. All right, did you notice that they crossed the 180 degree line? I didn't, know. No, they did it a lot um, in this Like film. purposely? Or no, just... no. Um, right, so... Well, all these techniques weren't in, like It wasn't popularised or invented yeah. at this point. So obviously film directors were previously stage directors. So where they placed the camera was just, that's the stage, we're just going to shoot this place here. Yeah. So you'll notice that whenever they're talking to each other or, you know, pulling a face and pointing at each other like they do in silent films, um, their eyes are always looking in the wrong place. So if someone's looking to the left of frame and then it cuts to the other person, they're looking to the left of frame as well, which doesn't make any sense. So that's made us think, who invented the 180 degree rule? So I looked it up and supposedly, yeah, even up to the 1930s, film directors were, uh, they were managing the whole set just like a stage play again. So these cinematic rules weren't there. Um, and it leads people to believe that the rule wasn't invented until at least the 1930s when the talkies became in, into fashion. And then that was the first time we saw the over-the-shoulder shot, which that shot in itself uh, gives the purpose of the 180-degree rule. When was that, sorry? When? The, in the 1930s. 1930s. Yeah. So I think 1934 was when we first started seeing the over-the-shoulder. Over the yeah. And then after that, it's just a clear... Um, Makes sense. <clears throat> Yeah, in terms of geography of where everyone is. Yeah. Yeah, because it would be weird if, like, it was over the someone's left shoulder and then it cut and then it was over that other person's left shoulder because you keep, you keep going over. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it would have ta taken trial and error to just figure this stuff out, wouldn't it? You just have to keep making... Yeah, they, they don't know what's wrong until they figure out what's right. Yeah. And it's all based on their own mistakes, isn't it? It's like, well, this worked. All right, let's figure out why it worked. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's because we stayed on one side of this imaginary line. I mean, as soon as they figure that out, uh, I imagine films got a lot easier to watch. Yeah. All right, special slash visual effects. We've already went into it a little bit with mats. So a mat is essentially, it's a, it's a mask. You're masking out parts of the film. So imagine you've taken a picture and you want to get uh, uh, someone in the background. You would cut that person out and then put them in the background. But on film, you obviously can't do that because you would have to cut them out each time. So instead, yeah, each frame. you project it and then you block out everything you don't want to see. Yeah. And then expose it again. It's very difficult to... Explain. To explain. <laughs> podcast. Yeah, there'll be... A, um, I'll see if I can find a, a GIF or something. <laughs> there is actually... There's a, there's a, there's a GIF... Uh, on Reddit a couple of months ago that showed this. So I'll, I'll find that and I'll save that and put it in the show notes below as well. Uh, special effects. The other special effect was uh, the robot. Yeah. I like the robot. I think it was great for our time. I, I think this was the first robot on in cinema. So on, on screen. Okay. Which is quite impressive. Did they invent the word robot after that? Was no, it, I think Would they have called existed. it a robot? Did they call it a robot in the film? I can't remember. Oh, no, because it would have been German. They call it like a man machine or something, didn't oh, they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think the, the robot was quite C-3PO looking yeah. and apparently an inspired C-3PO. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's great practical modeling, though. It was, I, enjoyed the, I enjoyed the robot. Yeah, me too. It was, it was interesting because robots didn't exist before this, or at least not in popular consciousness, um, that, uh, what's her name, Maria didn't really know how to act like a robot because she's never seen one before. Oh yeah, because you think act like a robot, okay, yeah, and then you'll know what to you do. Know, make so it was quite impressive that her her depiction of a robot was quite it was half decent. Yeah, Dipping, you know she didn't know what one was. I like that. That's good. Uh, yeah, right. Editing. What do you think? Um, I would. I've got. It's like the two thousand and one syndrome, and I think everything went on a little bit it's too a little long. Bit slow. When I'm a bit too slow, lingered on shots longer than it should have. I thought some things got a bit awkward. For example, the dancing scene that went on just a little bit too long. Um, yeah, I would do a good job editing and chopping this down. Yeah. To a half decent 90 minute film. I didn't know what, what sort of film, obviously this is the, the earliest film I've ever seen. Yeah. 
Um, but there was a lot of continuity editing in this film. So continuity editing, for those who don't know, is uh, someone walks out of a room, it, it cuts, and then they're walking out of the room on the other side. So it continues the story, it flows. So someone picks up a prop, it cuts, and they're picking up the prop on the other side. So that you do you do 50% of the motion and then you do another 50%. So continuity editing is just like making it all string together using different shots. And they did this in this film. And I was thinking that they might not do that. They might just keep it on the same shot until they go to the next scene. But they did that with a lot of cuts. And there were moments in it, especially with that dancing scene, where that was chopped really, really quickly. And I wasn't expecting it to be cut so quick, considering everything else is so slow. But like you say, people's... Uh, um, people might not have seen anything like this before. So putting something on screen and then showing it a little bit longer than you would standardly do it. Yeah. Because everything, you know, you've got a lot to look at. You know, we were saying the other day with uh, Blade Runner 47, 49, 49 the yeah. new one, the sequel... Uh, if everything was on screen twice as long, it's because there was twice as much to look at. Yeah. I think that might be the purpose of this as well. But like you say, I, I feel like I could cut this into, into like an hour. <laughs> it doesn't need to be two and a half hours long. But I mean, I'll, I'll let them off. <laughs> um, soundtrack. Yeah. So there's a story around this soundtrack as well. Okay which I don't know what it is, but apparently... <laughs> <laughs> wow, great. Great content. <laughs> All I know is they released the eighties version where they had like Queen and, and Adamant do the soundtrack and it sounded like a, like an MTV version of this right. Metropolis where they had, instead of having, I think it was like a 90 minute cut okay. instead of like a two hour one where instead of having those like slides, exposition slides, I don't know what you call them. Like uh, the, in the titles. In the titles. They removed them, just had subtitles on. All right. To kind of speed it up. And, oh, um, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And then like they had like motifs for the villain. So it was like a, when the villain came on, it was like, oh, right. duh, 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 <laughs> or whatever. So you kind of know that, oh, that's a bad guy. Oh, that's duh, 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 duh. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently that's not the film to watch. If you want to watch this film. Oh, okay. Um, Don't ingest that version. And, and yeah, if you want to experience this, get the 2010 one or the 2027 one or whatever it was yeah the original one um i did like the score it was quite it felt a bit um it was in your face wasn't it it was the, quite epic it didn't really calm it down during parts no but like you say it was enjoyable to listen to after about 40 minutes i really got into the the grammar of the whole film and understood the like the visual language and the audible language and after that yeah it worked i think it worked it was good, and I'm going to be able to hear that song played, and I'll go, ah, oh, Metropolis. Yeah. And it'll probably bring us straight back to the film. I reckon I probably will watch this film again. You, you could see it sounded like, um, oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, hence of Johnny Williams in there. Yeah. You can see how he's been inspired by this this soundtrack. Yeah, and I heard Raiders in there yeah. a few times, especially the, the Nazi theme tunes. Yeah. Yeah, and then we also, we were saying this off the podcast how that he doesn't quite nail the French national anthem. It's like, it's just <laughs> off. And that really it, frustrated <laughs> us. It really did. Um, we would normally talk about sound design, but it's a silent film. It so certainly we'll, is. we'll move on. Well, how would you do it differently? Right. Here we go. It brought up a lot of questions for me. I'm going to I'm gonna eat a biscuit while you do this. I will eat it off. You're going to eat Rob? He's this eating a ginger Rob. snap. This is Rob. Yeah. Right, you go. So the question, the plot is what... <laughs> They can hear that. that, yeah. Sorry, just go. Um, the questions that I brought up for me was in the plot was how did Mira get into the gardens? Number one, uh, was it yeah, a there's skilled? A, there's a plot hole right there. Yeah. Why does Metropolis have no police force? Oh yeah. What's happening there? There's no combats at all. No, they're having this big mob orgy at the end, and there's no one, there's no enforcement. Um, what is the city's relationship to the outside world? Like, is this just? I like would have a, liked to see. Zeppelins or something come in and deliver people from other places and tourism. Yeah. Why is there no tourism in this place? Well, it's also, is this like um, kind of meant to be a representation of the world as a whole or just this particular city? Oh, uh, okay. You know? Yeah, I felt like it was it was a city. It wasn't a utopia of Earth. Right. It, it didn't feel like it was heaven. It felt like it was a... Yeah, a city a in, a, in, a bigger, in, a, in a bigger world Yeah. to me. Those are just a few that I wrote down. There was a more than that. But it just, I think they could have tightened up the plot a bit. Yeah, but do you forgive them? Yeah. I don't. Do you, no, <laughs> no, because 
we've been telling stories for thousands of years. Yeah. Why did he get that wrong? Was that because they didn't realise that that much deal needed to be in a film? Maybe. The translation from a stage play to cinema. And you got this bit of Chinese whispers there. No, I don't forgive them. Should have. There was some. Get back to it, Fritz. Go on. <laughs> there was some. Um, well, he wouldn't be working in. He wouldn't be working in cinema nowadays, would he? No. No way. I imagine he was a bit of a sexual deviant as well. <laughs> Is that slander? No. No. Slander's no. when you say something bad about someone and it isn't true. I just call us called him a sexual deviant without knowing. Oh, and yes. And yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just a few unnecessary subplots that didn't really wrap up or kind what, of like, go anywhere. I didn't understand the um you know the 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 scientist, Rotvan. Yeah. Um I didn't understand the relationship of of hell. Is there's the woman who died? It was Oh um, hell. I thought you meant hell as in heaven and hell, but yeah, the woman. So the woman, that storyline was that... That's Joe Friedison's wife. Joe Friedison stole, stole hell from the scientist. Um, what, like relationship-wise? Like, yeah, or had an affair. Okay. She then got pregnant by the ruler guy, Friedison. Yeah. And then she died in childbirth, giving birth to Frieda. Oh, okay. And then Was that know, in the intertitles? No, I read that online. It might have been, but I read that. Right. Um that confused me a bit. I so was that, thinking, that's the, relation, that that's the relationship between the two. So I think there's obviously right. a bit of animosity there. That's why the scientists wanted to kill him. Yeah. Did you know in the um, in the English cut in yeah. 1927, this is IMDb, so someone might say, no, that's totally wrong. Uh, they got rid of all the references to hell because obviously in English, hell is the underworld where right, Hades okay. takes the bad people and Could just change them. their name. Well, yeah, they just got rid of it. So okay. in the English version, people were kind of a bit confused, right? Because that's a it's a big part of the uh, of the film, isn't it? Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a random robot. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I didn't like was the ending. If I would do this differently, it was too wrapped up, too like happily ever after. It didn't really earn it. I didn't think. Um, How would you we, do that differently then? Well, we go from like this this big mob of destruction smashing up the city and burning this witch at the stake not the witch like the hell, um, Maria at the stake thinking she's a, the human and all that and then they realise she's a robot and then everyone is, all of a sudden everyone just changes their opinion and go alright we're fine with that now sorry <laughs> um, you know what I mean there just doesn't seem to be there's a disconnect between everyone's motivations like the mob just kind of forget everything the mob is one mind and Friedison kind of he was all against like uh, a happy society and then at the end they just join hands and we're like oh I forget oh, okay that. so the, the handshake between these two people like wh why are they forgiving them they've just literally flooded the whole city where they live in order to stop the man yeah and yet right at the end they shake hands yeah well let's forget about all that we'll just shake hands it seems like a symbolic handshake rather than an actual thing that's been earned yeah um, I think I feel like if this was remade nowadays someone would have died probably Maria would have died yeah um, she would have sacrificed herself put the, for the sacrifice city. in there um, okay has it aged? Uh, obviously it's aged because it's silent film and the acting is all awful and stuff like that <laughs> um, yeah we're, we're beyond that but in terms of this is society now in terms of hazard age, I think it's still relevant. Okay. In terms yeah. of the themes that uh, it brings up, in terms of you know, communism is quite interesting. Um, I, 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 I like the religious connotations and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, the kind of good and evil um, class system, all of that is still relevant nowadays. And I would probably put a bet and say it'll still be relevant in 100 years' time. Yeah. These so, things don't go away, do they? Yeah, the kind of universal uh, themes that were enjoyable to watch, I would say. So I don't, and that's in terms of, I don't think it has age, no. No. And what about its technical standpoint as well? I mean, it was shot in 35 mil, so it's beyond HD because there's so much detail in the 35 mil uh, piece of film. So that when it's blown up, it, it looks pretty crisp most of the time, other than obviously those dodgy 16 mil bits that they've put back in. Yeah. Um, In terms of the production design. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. It's wicked. It's it's very unique. I um, you can see where all the inspiration comes from from other people, uh, and it looks like a film. It does it's got the film look? It's got the film look. I think it's got the film look. Yeah, me too. And it's it's it is a it does drive a story. 
so it does work. Have you got any fun facts? I know we've been sort of uh, dropping little fun facts through the I thing. have got some fun facts. This isn't necessarily about the film, but it's a fun fact about silent films mm. as a whole. Apparently 90% of all silent films that were made uh, have been lost to the passage of time. Oh, okay. 90% of all of them. So that's because that I think celluloid doesn't last very long. It's very flammable. Yeah. It degrades. And our people at, I think people at the time just kind of made films and didn't know what to do with them after. And they didn't really store them properly. They were all made on the cheap. They kind of made one. I guess they didn't realize cinema was going to be the biggest media empire yeah, in the exactly. world. I think it was a case if they made it, they distributed it, move on to the next one. And wow. In terms of storing these things for historical purpose or just for the sake of you know keeping art, just didn't really wasn't around at the time maybe it wasn't considered art back then yeah exactly so i think that's quite interesting so the fact that this is you know lasted still the lasted still time is quite interesting in itself um what else have i got yeah uh much to fritz's um dismay the director adolf hitler and joseph goebbels were huge fans of this film i heard about that i read up a little bit about uh fritz lang and his wife yeah uh, his wife his wife being part of the Nazi propaganda machine. Yeah, so this was based on a novel that his wife wrote. And I think his wife helped write the screenplay as well. So she had a big say in it, but she was a huge Nazi supporter. Yeah. At the time. The, There's a story that he um, he went and saw the uh, the master of the propaganda machine. I, I do forget his name. And that they had a bit of a bit of an interview and they, they wanted to hire him to, to make films. And he said that day that he went to the bank, collected all his money and fled to, fled to America. Yeah, I've got that as well. So he met with Goebbels. Goebbels, there you go. That's um, the one. And he told Lang that he could be an honorary Aryan. despite he's him, Jewish, Despite isn't him he? being a Jew. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, Goebbels, Goebbels told him, Mr. Lang, we decide who is Jewish and who is not. God. And then that day he just, yeah, he packed up and went to America. <laughs> Mad, absolutely mad. Insane. Glad we got rid of them. <laughs> no, if anyone's were. a Nazi listening to this, <laughs> go away. We don't want you. <sighs> right. uh, so there's, those are facts, the Hitler and the silent film thing. And then I think I've sprinkled a few throughout the podcast as well. Yeah. So we've got next week's film to oh, choose. We, we haven't decided. thought of one, but Rob was saying uh, he, he had a couple of ideas. What's and what were the ideas? He was saying Captain Fantastic. Oh yeah, that's yeah, a Viggo big. Mortensen I've seen film that one. It's very year. good. I haven't kind of, seen it. Uh, I've been meaning to watch it. No, I'd highly recommend that. Let's watch that. That's yeah. a, bit, a bit of a change to this as well, which I'm excited about. Wicked. So that came out last year. It got nominated for one Oscar. Uh, Viggo Mortensen stars in it, directed by Matt Ross. Um, don't tell us about it. I don't, I don't okay, know anything cool. about yeah. it. I just know it. It's one of my favorite films from last year. All right, wicked. Yeah, yeah let's watch that then. So moving on to question time. That we're calling it question time. Question time. Right, so me and Christian, we're thinking about um, different ways to s- subsidise the trivia round. And we were thinking, right, well, let's get the guitars around, get the piano out, and we'll we'll write some jingles. Um, but we thought, nah, we'll, we'll best not do that, because Rob will come back and he'll, he'll <laughs> set the office on fire. <laughs> um, but if anyone wants to send over a jingle for our topic and Q&A section... Question time, question and answers, Q&A with the film look or anything like that. We're, we're open to suggestions because we really want to get some more jingles going and now Rob. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's the first question we've got? So the first question is from Asian Jared, Jared Johnson. And Jared says, hey guys, quick question. In your opinion, what is the difference between story and plot? So thanks for that, Jared. Do you, do you know the difference, Richard? No. Uh, I've always thought... Is, is plot the very particular events that are happening and story is the overall? Yeah, simplistically, yeah. I think that's kind of... It's, I mean, it's not a big deal. I always kind of use them synonymously. Yeah. Is there um, a real difference? Interchangeably. There is. I've, I did some research last night. So the plot is kind of the meat and bones of the story. So it's like this happens and this happens and this happens. Yeah. Um, so it's like the beats of the film. The story is kind of the idea and the general theme of it, and the plot is kind of enhances the story. Right. If that makes sense. So could you provide an example? So, yeah, so when I was looking at some sites about plot and story, I came across this quote, which is kind of quoted in all of the articles I read. Um, and it's from E.M. Forster's Aspects of the Novel, where he talked about the difference between plot and story. Okay. And he said, so the, I'm going to read two sentences and I'll talk about um, the difference between them. So the first sentence is the, the king died and then the queen died. 
um, that story. And the plot is the king died and then the queen died of grief. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, that doesn't help. So the first is the story and the second is the plot. And so a story is a series of events recorded in their chronological order. Order. A plot is a series of events deliberately arranged so as to reveal their dramatic, thematic, and emotional significance. Do you get that? No. So sort of, but no. Kind of simplistically, a plot is what happens and a story is what it's about. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. That's not no. good. Not really. I'm going to have to research this a bit more. It's... No. Uh, Sorry. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. I would say like a plot is a yeah, points in a story to get you to another point. A story is, I don't know, the general. Just what's going on. What's going on. All right. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if that helped you, Jared. But it's, it kind of shows you that this is a common issue. If, yeah, if you're confused as well, then we are. Don't worry about it. That's my advice. <laughs> you'll, know ins- you'll know instinctively <laughs> what the difference is. We, uh, we actually have another question. We have another question yeah. from, from our friend Max that supplied I mean, the quote at the beginning. JJ and Max are probably the... Uh, I feel like they're all our only listeners. If, <laughs> if anyone out there listening <laughs> isn't either Jared or Max, please get in touch. Yeah, no, like send some comments. Like we, we want to hear from people. Like we, we do get some downloads from this at the moment. Yeah. I'm wondering who these people are and I would love to speak to them. Yeah. So Max from Valley Films says, All right, you wonderful crazy folk. I'll try and do this in his accent. Oh, I really can't. Do you want to read it? All right, you... Right, so... Um, right, I, I usually try and get myself into a New Zealand accent by quoting Dean Hall, who uh, was the creator of the, the video game Daisy, or obviously Peter Jackson. So he says backpack really well. He says big, big pick. Uh, network bubble. Uh, all right, you w- wonderful crazy... But nah, it's gone. All right, <laughs> you just you discover it. I could do it in an American accent. Yeah, sure, yeah. Just so we can just keep the accents up. So Max, Max, Max? Max. <laughs> Max from Valley Films said, All right, you wonderful crazy folk. I keep getting my not questions in your podcast. And so podcast? This is a, podcast? <laughs> this, is the, this is a real question from him. He says, What are the worst projects you've ever made and how do you deal with the oh crap feeling? I mean, the only oh crap feeling I had was the first ever freelance video project I had. It was completely un- unprepared. I didn't know how to talk to clients. I didn't know that I had to put some money into it in order to get the equipment, in order to make it like they want it. I just thought, I've just got to use what I've got. And I ended up making like this really bad, this really bad set of videos and I was charging almost nothing. And I look back and I've sort of, Ended up severing ties with the client out of shame more than anything else. And mm. I feel bad, but I feel like uh, contacting them like five years later and saying, look, I'm sorry about this is kind of just like bringing up, bringing up the dirt. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dig up the body. I'm just going to. How bad was it? Lie. It wasn't terrible. It just wasn't really good. And like, it's just not <laughs> it's rubbish. So I, I could have bought a, a decent like lavalier clip mic. Didn't even think about it. Like, uh, at the time I was just thinking, I've got to use what I've got because the client uh, wants it really cheap. So I ended up using a shotgun mic on top of my camera. Uh, I was recording inside a hall. So it was like really noisy. And these were for like DVD distribution. And I just, basically I give them something really bad and I feel really bad about it. (laughs) But yeah, that was the all crap feeling. Uh, of a bad project. Oh, actually, I've got another one. <laughs> this one's a bit more to do with the film look. So the Indie Film Sound Guide was our first guide that we, we brought out for the channel. And you might notice that the B-roll in the episodes is slightly different in terms of the scene than the, the scene that we actually provided as the case study. And that's because uh, on the first day of shooting, we were shooting the scene and all the B-roll for the episodes. And because of that, we forgot to record good sound, which is totally hypocritical. Um, So we had to go back and shoot the scene uh, without shooting at anything else, just the scene dedicating to one thing. And then it was from that point on that me and Rob said, right, we are not spreading ourselves thin anymore. If we're going to do something, we're going to do one thing and do it right. So with our latest film, we could be shooting 
episodes while shooting the film at the same time but we said no we're just gonna we're gonna make a movie and all of the episodes are gonna be a retrospective instead of doing them on the day so yeah don't spread yourself too thinly don't try to do a million things at once and if you're gonna make a guide about how to record good sound you need to record good sound <laughs> well that's a good example of having that all crap feeling and then do something about it so it won't happen again isn't it yeah we, like I mean, there was, we put the edit together i was tying with the sound and the, the, the trouble was that um, the, the whole part of the Indie Film Sound Guide was that we had Ed who hadn't done a lot of sound recording and we would teach him the basics of how to do it. So he learns and he was the sound guy on the, on the latest film and it, it, the sound is wicked. But because I was producing the episode clips with Adam, Adam Orby, if you're listening, um, I was sort of directing Adam to get shots while Rob was directing the scene that was going on and no one was given any advice to Ed, which is the advice of the series. So it's all just sort of a bit of a cluster, cluster bomb going on there. Yeah, so don't spread yourself too thinly. If you're going to make a series, stick to that. If you're going to make a film, just make the film first and then think about everything else as an, as an afterthought. It sounds like you're diluting the series, but as long as the film is as good as it needs to be, you can always make episodes after. So... Yeah, that, that's probably the biggest old crap moment because <laughs> I edited the whole thing. Uh, well, no, I, I, I knew the audio was going to be bad, but I didn't want to... I didn't want to say, oh, guys, the audio's crap. We're going to have to do this because we were so far into shooting on that first day and I knew that a lot of the footage was going to be really good. So I made the decision there to just sort of shut up and, and just carry on getting the B-roll and getting the shots. Um, and then sort of let Rob listen to the audio after. And then he was, he agreed straight away. He was like, yeah, we need to do this again. We can't put out a, a series about sound if our sound is, is rubbish. Um, and then he, he said he was pleased with it as well because he said the, the, the lighting setup that he created wasn't as dramatic as he wanted it to be. So the second time round, it looks better. It sounds better. And I think the performances are better as well. So don't worry, make make things the second time round. Third time's the charm, as they say. If you can do it in the second, then you're just lucky. <laughs> All right, that's a good answer. I'm not gonna answer mine because that was that was story you, time with you Richard. Filled, you filled the good spot there. And um, if you have a question you'd like to ask, then find us on Twitter. Ask a question there. Yeah, yeah. Our we, handle is. We want to get more interactions with, uh, with uh, the people. film. Look, I love speaking to people. Yeah. I put out a tweet the other day that was quite heartfelt, but like. I love being part of this like film, this small filmmaking community of just like people all scratching their head at the same time trying to work it out. It's just, it's wicked. Oh, <laughs> uh, and also uh, next month is the anniversary of me finally quitting my, my part-time job, severing ties and um, finally committing to just like, if you're going to fail, then just you're going to fail. But if you succeed, you're going to do well. So All in. Yeah, all in. You go, gan big or gan yam. That's what it's all about. Go big or go home for people who don't know how to speak. Oh, that was a long-winded answer. Jeez, what time is it? Is it tomorrow? <laughs> um, Thanks. I'm going to have another one of these biscuits. That's all right. So to end this week's podcast, we're going to do a special edition of Story in the Can. Do you want to explain what Story in the Can is, Richard? Yeah, so Story in the Can is something we didn't really invent it. We just sort of put a brand on it. And it's a way of generating ideas for a film or any sort of story, really, by creating, here. creating random, great folly art there, Christine. So you, 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 t you take out these, like, random scenarios and locations and objects and characters, and you just have to try and, like, fill in the blanks, essentially. So, yeah, so on the cans, we've got um, one's location... One is character. One will be scenario. One is scenario. One will be one object. Is object. And the last one is genre. Yeah, so the genre is the twist that we put in after we did a few. And you sort of take out, so take out one each. You so, can do that. Okay, I'm, gonna pick, I'm picking a location right now and I'll read it out loud. The location is Old Hunting Lodge. Oh, we've never had that one. Oh, really? Get in. All right, yeah. Um, We're good. Now I've got this scenario can and I'm picking one. And this is an eating contest. Oh, I don't think we've had that one either. <laughs> You're picking well. up some good ones. It's going well. Get in. Object now. Yeah, so you string these together and just try and create a story. In our latest film, Backstage, we, we actually picked out four. Um, so it was a public toilet 
the medium of fly swatter and the walk of shame and then we ended up crafting this story around it and then we ended up making a short film based on like picking out things from a car so what have you got there so the object is steak knife and the character is a funeral director okay and we'll leave the genre one for now because we'll try and come up with something and then we'll pick one out of the genre and then see how we can put a twist on it and see how it changes so let's see what let's have a look what you got. So just to repeat that, we've got a, an eating contest as the scenario. We have an old hunting lodge as the location. We have a steak knife as the object, and a funeral director as the character. All right, it's a horror film. It's a horror film. I think I've got something here. You got something. The funeral director it's... has been invited by these hicks to go to this old hunting lodge because one of their family members has died, and is in a rural area, so the, the funeral director goes and visits them and then gets his tape measure and makes a coffin for them. What he doesn't realise is that he's actually in an eating contest, a cannibal eating contest. Nice. And they give him a steak knife and they force him to eat this person that he's measured up for a coffin. And it's very much like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of plot and he takes the steak knife and he goes I'm not having this and then like -na 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 -na, stabs them and like tries to run away yeah I think the beginning of that story is better alright you, you well, no, replace I like, the bad I, bits I, 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 I like <laughs> so you're in an old hunting lodge no the funeral director is invited to the old hunting lodge oh so there might be guns and stuff there though wouldn't there yeah probably right. so yeah, to, to measure up a coffin for a person that's died. Yep. Um, how do they measure coffins up? Do they have to, like, have a look at the body? Probably not, I think right? there's just a... The, I, I don't think they have to look at the body. I think the person will probably tell them, like, what <laughs> like was the height and weight like of the person. Like sized up for trousers or something. I don't, think, I don't <laughs> think they have to measure their inseam to, to <laughs> figure out if they're going to fit in a coffin, Christian. Because that, my, my thought then would be like, where's the body? And they're like, oh, they're not here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, because it's they, they ate them in the eating contest. All oh, right, yeah, it was all the right. cannibals. So, so yeah, fill in the fill in the bad parts then. Replace the what you're thinking. So it doesn't have to be a good one. It's all about critical I was, thinking. I, I like I like making good ones though. <laughs> it's the eating contest. That's the the odd one out here, isn't it? Yeah, you've got the old hunting lodge and the steak knife and the funeral director. That kind of you can see a, a story there. Well, what about the eating contest? Is a facade. So the the disguising it is eating like can you eat an entire deer we're gonna we're gonna hunt a deer bring it out and then eat the whole thing and that's the contest but they end up shooting a person by mistake and just run with it because they're like hicks why does he have to be a funeral director because we picked it out of the can <laughs> <laughs> has to be a reason that as a funeral director so what is unique to them obviously they bury bodies they measure people's inseam. Measure people's inseam. They uh, have a relationship with, with death that not many other people do. Oh, right, okay. I think I've got it. Okay. Funeral director, obviously. Yeah. Um, imagine everything's just the way we, we said it. So he goes to this old hunting lodge where someone's died. Maybe someone's been killed and they're trying to hide that. So the they've dressed him up and they said, you're going to have to measure it. And they're gonna, they're gonna, I don't know, try and kill a funeral director or something. Um, and he takes the steak knife because the guy won't fit in the coffin, so he has to chop him up to chop him up to get him in. The funeral director does. Y yeah. No. Or maybe the funeral director gets killed as well. So at the start, right? Phone call. Oh, you, you're gonna have to come and measure measure up Larry. I, I don't know why I said Larry Lawrence is my dad. Measure up Gary. There we go. Uh, and then on the phone. Oh no, I'm just talking to the funeral director. What? No, get off the phone, Janice. No. Uh, and she ends up calling the funeral director to come over, measure up this guy. But she doesn't realise that uh, they could be tried for murder because they've actually killed this guy. But then they have to kill the funeral director as well, and they chop him up with a steak knife and they, they put them both in the coffin that's a story from a can um, how about they're in a <laughs> someone died there okay someone was killed 
but they called the funeral director to cover it up, so it looks like they're going through the motions of burying this person. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's just a ruse to get someone there because they want to. The, the it's like a weird get out type type of um, atmosphere, like uh, where they are having an eating contest, but it's really dark because they're eating humans. Yeah. Um, and then one thing leads to another. Uh, the funeral director slowly figures this out. Okay. Because they're just acting weird, like yeah. they do on Get Out, and halfway through the film, and then they're like, "Oh, didn't you know? We're all cannibals here, and." we're going to eat you. And then he has to escape. And then he has to escape by using the steak knife, but it turns out he, he does get killed. He doesn't escape. And then the last scene, you see a steak, like a close-up on a steak knife, eating a bit of meat. Ah, uh, and it's got like, you know, I have to cut the sleeve off and it's the sleeve of the funeral director. Yeah. All right, let's get the genre tin. <laughs> so you can turn this from the genre of a crappy movie into a better one. <laughs> <laughs> So what what was it before? It's a horror. It's kind of like a psychological horror, isn't it? It's now a gangster film. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> Everyone's gangsters. There you go. All right, the eating contest. Spaghetti now. Sp- spaghetti meatballs. Yeah. And they're at the hunting lodge. Which is the gangster's weekend spot where they get out of the city. Yeah, yeah. And the funeral director uh, is in is Tommy, on... Is Tommy Two Hands. It's Tommy Two Hands. He's, he's got two hands. <laughs> And the, the the plan to invite him to the lodge because they're going to kill him. The funeral director is just a, a cover. He's actually a gangster in real life. Okay. But that's his, um, do you know how gangsters always have to have a front, don't they? Yeah, so like his, a... Um, his front is a, a, a funeral director. Okay. And then and then what? Kill him with a steak knife. And that's the start of the film. This doesn't have to be the whole thing. That's just the yeah. beginning. And then they the go around and kill everyone. Alright, so that was an episode of Story in the Can <laughs> via the podcast. It it didn't quite work out. Sometimes you get really good ones, sometimes they're quite difficult. So it was the eating contest. Yeah, kinda uh, put a bit of too much of a spin on it, didn't it? Yeah. Well, if anyone's listening that has any cool ideas for uh what we've got steak knife, funeral director, eating contest and old hunting lodge, uh send them through on Twitter. Uh, or email them if you've got like a big synopsis. See if you can do better than me and Christian. Probably. It's hard under pressure when you've got a microphone, you have yeah. to fill silence. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's easier on, on a video when yeah. you can just fast forward <laughs> or cut out the bad bits. But I feel like if you give me that and come back to me in a day, I'll have something better than that. But I suppose that's the game, isn't it? Just trying to use your brain to throw things out. Yeah. Anyway. That's it. That's the that's whole it. podcast for this week, Christian. It's a podcast. Well, as always... I hope you enjoyed it, Jared and Max. And Rob will be listening and Rob, this week. Rob will probably be listening. I hope he's listening. As always, thank you for listening to the Film Look podcast, where we try to achieve that one shot at a time. And until next week, goodbye. See ya. <laughs>